Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to George Carollo, the co-founder of Dover, an end-to-end recruiting automation platform that helps companies to find and hire top talent. Dover uses advanced matching software to identify the perfect candidates across all recruiting channels and drives the hiring process for companies and candidates. In 2019, three friends teamed up to launch a new SaaS startup. They'd all felt the pain of recruiting in previous companies and decided to solve that problem. They got their first 10 customers without even having a product or website. In fact, at that point, they didn't even have a company or product name. For the first nine months, they solved the problem manually for customers. The team would review resumes, create a shortlist of candidates, and then connect the right candidate with the right companies. And by taking this approach, the founders were able to better understand customers and identify exactly the right problem that they should solve with software. But growing beyond their initial customers was tough. They sent about a thousand cold emails to recruiters, which turned out to be a waste of time. They hired writers to create content, but they couldn't find anyone who understood the problem, market, and data well enough to create meaningful or useful content. Nothing seemed to be working. And then COVID hit, and suddenly things looked even worse. Not only were they unable to acquire customers, they were now struggling to keep the ones they had. The founders then made an important but risky decision. They decided to stop selling and instead focus all their time on building a better product. In this interview, we explore why they made that decision, how they turned things around to get the business to $4 million in annual recurring revenue. It's an interesting story, but what I really love about it is the super simple approach the founders have taken to build this business and how they got their customers without a product or website. So I hope you enjoy it. George, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Omar, for having me. So what gets you out of bed every day? What, what inspires and motivates you to, to work on your business? Maybe I'm a bit basic, but for me, it's really just around like, I want to leave the world a better place than what I found it in. So like when I die, this maybe sounds a little dark, but when I die, basically I hope someone goes up and says, George did X, which was really cool and hard to do. And it made a bunch of people's lives better. So I'm hoping to kind of have that impact, I guess. Yeah. A bit dark, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> good way to, to get inspired. Um, so tell us about Dover. What does the product do? Who is it for? And, and what's the main problem that you're helping to solve? Yeah, so we are an end-to-end recruiting orchestration platform, which sounds very jargony. So let me kind of break down what that is. We basically, our goal is to make hiring effortless for hiring managers. So what Dover does is we basically help discover candidates for companies and then also move those candidates through the recruiting process for our users. Got it. Okay. So you guys founded the company in 2019 and your co-founders are Anvisha and Max, who was actually a guest on my show about two years ago. Yes. With his other company. Yeah. Yeah. With his other company, uh, which I think is, let me just look that up. Episode 208 is uh, where we talked to Max before. So tell, tell me about like, how did you guys... How did you guys get together? How did you come up with the idea for this business? Yeah, so the get together story is pretty goes way back. So Max and Avisha both know each other from like freshman year of MIT, and then I met Max and Avisha socially probably around 
six years ago or something like that. Max and I had done a little bit of investing work together and Anvisha is now married to my best buddy from Stanford. So that's, so we've all kind of known each other socially for a very long time. And then how did you come up with the idea? Yeah. So all three of us have been founders before and worked in startups. And one of the things that kind of came out of it was like, we realized like when we were trying to figure out like problem spaces and stuff to work on, and Max and Anvisha actually did this even a little bit before I joined, was we were like, like hiring's a problem for every company. All of our friends complain about it all the time. When I go and have beers, I complain about it to my friends about like how we can't find anyone who's good. And we're like, this seems like an interesting problem to tackle. Um, so that's basically how we started the business. And and you had a little bit more experience than your co-founders because your previous company was sort of in a similar space, right? Yeah. At my previous company, we sold tools to recruiters. So Max and V showed basically we're like, we're gonna do recruiting. And I was like, okay, cool. And I had just left my previous business. And I was like, I didn't even really know if I wanted to do recruiting again, to be quite honest. I was like, oh, I kind of, maybe I had my kicks with this, guys. And what we basically I hung out with them for a couple of months. I'm like, it's pretty rare you get a chance to work with two good friends on a project. And one of the things I've learned throughout my career is that betting on the people is more important for me, at least, especially early stages than like the exact idea. Because the idea is going to change you know, as you learn more and more about the problem you're solving. Or sometimes there's massive pivots as well. So I was like, well, I'll just take the jump and like I'll work with two of my good friends and like let's see what we can let's see what we can pull up. Now, you know, often we hear that, you know, whatever space you're going into, having a deep understanding of that market is really important to be able to understand, you know, the nuances and and really figure out what people in that market need, what their problems are and so on. Now you had some experience, but your co-founders didn't. What was it about this space that you guys felt like, you know, yeah, it's interesting, but we also believe that we're the right people to go and solve this problem. So I think we'd all had like on the user side, like we'd all hired people before and been through that. And we all have like our own our own stories going through this. Like Max's previous company, I think was 30 people or something like that. And he was just like, it was always a dog for him to find good people and, and bring them on. When I was working at a startup in San Francisco, this is probably, like, oh, I don't know, five, six years, six, seven years ago now. I remember I was hiring uh, the first person on my team. And so I, you know, I throw up my job ad on LinkedIn and you know, all the standard places, Indeed, whatever. And I just get like a million applications, just a million. And when I say a million, probably like 200 or something like that, but like some like very large number. And I just sat down. I remember one day just like flipping through them on my desk. And I was just like trying to go through these resumes. And my boss was just like, what are you doing, George? And I'm like, I'm trying to go through all these resumes. Take like five minutes each. This is terrible. And he's like, man, you should print them all out. And I was like, why should I print them out? And he's like, well, you should print them out, cut them in half, you know, take the top half and throw out the bottom half. And I'm like, what do you mean throw out the bottom half? He's like, you don't want to work with someone who's unlucky. And I was like, oh my God, this is like crazy. Like, and he was making a joke, obviously, he's a very funny guy. But like, there was some truth to like the this process is very broken. So it's been kind of a thing we've we've all known for like many, many years. Okay. So so you've got the idea. You think there's an opportunity there. How how did you guys get started? Yeah. So at the very beginning, basically, it was just, it was friends. It was like primarily Max and Avisha's friends who were like founders of other businesses who we just like went to and like, hey, you guys trust us. We're like, we like to think we're smart people. We'll give it hell for you guys. And they trusted us and, you know, we owe them a lot for that. And we just started doing like real basic like services recruiting stuff. Like there was no technology at all at the beginning. And we we're just like, let's just see if we can solve these problems for these hiring managers. Okay, great. So l- let's talk about that because that's, um, you know, a lot of founders are like, well, I've got to build a product and and to, to build a product, I need the money and and so on. And yeah. you were like, no, we, we're going we're gonna to test this a very different way. So tell me a little bit about like how that actually works. Like, so if you've got somebody who agrees to work with you guys, 
what was happening what was there even some sort of you know website or or sort of concierge mvp or was it just them emailing or phoning you and saying hey do this for us yeah, it was very much the latter of those things. Um, I don't even think we had the name Dover until we were probably at like 15 customers. Like we didn't even have a name. There was nothing. There was like no landing page. There was basically nothing. And the way it worked to kind of... Like, so there's like three of us on the team. This is probably the way it worked for the first 10 customers was like essentially like Anvisha was doing like the like basically doing like sending out emails to candidates and like doing the first round of interviews for our customers and just kind of like doing all that hands-on work. My job was largely to do basically like just doing resume review. Um, so the exact problem I was kind of making fun of my old boss for telling me to throw half of them out. Like that was basically <laughs> my job for the first couple months was like learn how to like read all these resumes and like try to parse through them really quickly. And then Max was doing a lot of our sales work. And it's kind of funny when I look back because like both Max and Visha are engineers by trade. That's like what they studied in school and what they've done before. And our disposition was like, let's just understand our users problem because we weren't really sure what we wanted to build yet. It was like not super clear to us. So we just tried to like solve it as it's been solved for forever, which is like, you know, just do the work yourself manually. And you know, then our whole idea is like, well, if we figure out how to optimize our processes, then we can start building technology around that. Love it. And and so were you charging for your service, your product? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. I think that's one thing that we knew early on we had to charge because in some ways it's kind of like getting customer validation. Like if you just do it for free, it's like it's unclear if you're creating any value for them, right? Or they just feel like they're doing you a favor sort of thing. Where if you're charging leasers like this exchange of like, well, you, it's expected that we create value. And it probably also makes us work harder at the end of the day because like they've trusted us. So we got to like, you know, do it right for them. Did you say you, you got about like 15 customers that you were working with that way? Yeah, that was, yeah, it was like incredibly manual for like the first 15 customers, which, you know, when I look back to like the first like, I don't know, nine months of the company's life. There was like very, very, very little technology. So how long did you do that? Like, how long did it take to actually build a product? Well, I still like to think it's our product's not even done yet. Like our V0 in my mind still isn't even completed and we're tears in. You're not still printing out those resumes, are you? <laughs> yeah, but like that's, so like we, we, we got that part working. That took us three months to get the resume review part working and getting that done in an automated fashion. But like, we've been kind of like incrementally biting off different parts of the product. So the product we have is, as I kind of laid out, like there's a huge surf, like product surface area with us. It's like, how do you find candidates and then like move them through this recruiting process? There's just like a million steps in that. And so what we've tried to do is basically like try to automate and build nice product and like nice user features around the things that are like most repetitive and most straightforward. And we're continuing to kind of like burn down that funnel, if you will, of like things that have become more and more niche. And so we're still, I think, six months off if we're lucky from actually having the whole thing working end to end. So is there still some aspects in the back end that are still happening manually? Yeah, there are. And parts of those things I think will stay probably forever manually. Like, for example, like we perform interviews for our users. So we'll service a candidate. Our user says, oh, yeah, that looks like an interesting person to talk with. But I'm really busy. Can you like do the first interview for me? And we say, sure. So that's the thing that Dover does that like, that will probably never be automated. I don't know how you're going like, to automate a phone call. So we'll, we'll forever have a team that does that. Okay, great. That's interesting. So walk me through a little bit. I mean, obviously, we don't need to go through like every single feature, but just if, if we can sort of think about at a sort of a high level, the roadmap. So you started off no website, no product. It's basically we're going to be bodies and provide a service for these customers. And then you did that for, I think you said nine months or so. Yeah, probably around then, yeah. And then when once you sort of introduced the, sort of the first version of the product, like what part did you sort of first automate? 
So I'll, I'll explain kind of a little bit, a little more how Dover works, then jump into that. So we argue there's like three ways to get candidates, there's like three channels or sources. There's basically you can like throw up job ads on various platforms, indeed LinkedIn, whatever. We call those inbound candidates. They apply. There's outbound, which is reaching out to people proactively, call it through like email or LinkedIn or something like that. And then lastly, there's referrals. And all three of those things kind of funnel in. We call it the Dover brain, but this is basically that resume parsing thing that we built. And then from there, we basically work on process automation for our users to make sure, hey, we scheduled a first round phone screen. How did it go? Do we need to advance them forward to a second round? And doing all that sort of work to actually push them through the stages of a recruiting process. So that's what our product is at a very high level. The first thing we tackled, because we didn't know if it was possible, frankly, was like, could we get resume review to work? So that was the first, like, when we started really building product, that's what we were focused on. Because it was the largest unknown for us. Like we knew we could build integrations with, the, with these other tools. We knew we could build the process stuff. We didn't know if it was possible to actually build the right algorithms to actually review resumes in a thoughtful way. And that explains me a little bit about like, how does that work? Yeah, so it's a combination of like a lot of heuristics and like a lot of different machine learning models to basically solve the problem. So that's basically how we tackled it. And when we first started off, it was more rules-based. And as we've gotten more and more sophisticated over time, we're able to hone in the algorithm. It's constantly a work in progress. We're making it better every day. That's become kind of the like the main thing that allows us to do all this stuff at scale is that is that algorithm. And and how do you measure that? How do you know how well it's working or not working? It's a great question. So part of our flow is we, we, we always want the hiring manager's buy-in for the candidate before we move them through and process, right? Oh, it's just a waste of everybody's time. So what we do is when a candidate raises their hand and says, hey, I'm interested, we basically show that candidate to a hiring manager in Slack. So we have all these Slack integrations set up and basically the hiring manager says, oh yeah, that person looks interesting. I definitely would be interested in talking to them. And then if so, then we'll move them through. So there's actually a really great quality metric for us to track because we see basically of the folks that the brain is presenting, essentially, like what percentage of them are being approved by the hiring manager. And that basically helps us understand whether we're calibrated or not. Interesting. Okay, great. Okay, so that was like the first part that you you guys started to build. Let's talk a little bit about how you found customers that like you didn't know. So, so you said you mentioned like the first 10 was sort of like, you know, friends and stuff like that who had companies. But how, how did you start finding strangers? That's a really great question. I think that's like, I think it's really hard to do for what it's worth. The business timing with COVID and stuff actually is quite, kind of interesting here, I think. So we're, I don't know, probably call it like end of 20, I guess that'd be 2019. We're probably like, I don't know, 15, 20 customers, something in that ballpark is my guess. And again, like most of those, like you said, are friends and friends of friends, things like that. And we didn't have much word of mouth or anything going. So we started running a couple experiments there to see like, could we basically like increase our like customer base, right? And we tried two different strategies, both of which didn't work. So the first thing we tried was Max is like, well, let's just reach out to some companies and like see if they'd be interested. Like we'll show them the product, tell them how cheap we are and like see if they'd be interested in trying it out. And basically we got like a big zero on that. And we probably ran the experiment for like a couple of weeks or a month or something. And we're like, okay, this isn't very good. And like in hindsight, it was kind of, it should have been more obvious to us. Like there's a ton of recruiting products out there. They're constantly reaching out to companies promising them the world about how they're going to help them hire Elon Musk to come, you know, run whatever for right. So we're like, okay, so that was, okay, great learning there. This is not going to be our, our way of doing this. The second thing we tried was um, some content marketing. We were a really small company. There was like six of us at that point, I think. And not a, we basically didn't have much time because 
to like write all the content and do it in a thoughtful way. So we're like, what if we just come up with the idea and then we can like outsource it? So we contracted with a firm that does this and they were supposed to generate like good content for us based off of like, you know, we send them like a paragraph and they're going to turn them into like a nice fleshed out thoughtful article. And that didn't work out very well either for us. And I think a lot of us do with like a lot of our content is very data driven and they just didn't have the ability to like trudge through our database and like have these interesting insights and like do that actual like heavy lifting to come up with the article and make it really thoughtful. So that was kind of a rather failed experiment at that stage. And so like, is that something that like, for example, are you guys still like writing the content yourselves? I mean, obviously you have a bigger team now. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's exactly what's happened. So we went through COVID, had a bit of a lull. Then after COVID, I think we basically, we stopped trying to do sales for like three months and just really focused on building the product out. And I think we got a lot stronger product market fit during that phase is what happened. So I guess like the the world kind of aligned to make us work on our product more instead of worrying so much about sales, which I think was 100% the right, like I feel very lucky that that happened to us. And that really pushed us. And I think that's when we started to get kind of good word of mouth was after our product, just like we fine tuned it and worked on it and became better. And I think that's when people started to talk about it. And that's really how we, I think it's driven most of our growth basically. Yeah. Let's go back to the outbound for a little bit. So so Max wanted to do this. What did you do? Did you send cold emails? Were you were you kind of cold calling people? What what kind of outbound were you doing? Yeah, it was cold emails. It was like standard crunch base, like figure out companies that are out there that you know are trying to grow quickly, just raise a big round of money, yada yada yada. Like very like I think standard like sales things, and you know put them in, dump them into some like mail merge tool, like send a bunch of emails, <laughs> and, and like see if people respond, see if people respond back, and we just we just got very little. Very little lift from that. How many emails roughly do you think you sent out? Or to how many people, I guess? That's a great question. I'd probably guess in the order of like, I don't know, 500, 1,000, something like that. Okay, so it was a decent sample to to go and test with. It wasn't like, you know, you, you reached out to like 20 people. No, no, no. Because we, we wanted real data, right? On like, is this a thing or not? And like, we even did, we even tried to do like smart things. Like, you know, we're a YC company. So we're like, okay, what if we have the, the other YC companies? What if they're interested or something like that? Because like, maybe we have like this like common bond or something. And I think the, like the problem is that recruiting is so noisy. Like even say as a recruiting business, I think this is kind of funny. Like I probably get one or two emails a day offering like development help from some recruiting business. And I'm like, we're a recruiting business. Like, why, why are you reaching out to us? We use our own product. And I think that that's like, I think it kind of just like shows how like noisy this market is essentially. So I think it's kind of like a, it's a tough strategy, I think, for for businesses in this space. Yeah. The thing with Outbound is that if you're sending emails out and you're not getting a response, it's like, is it because you're you're talking to the wrong customers, right? Maybe your list, you just don't have the right list of people that you should be going after. Or is it that you're talking about the wrong problem that they don't care about? Or is it just the message that the way you're delivering the message and articulating it doesn't sort of come through? But um, the challenge there always is like, okay, if, if somebody goes through this process, like maybe somebody's doing it right now and they're sending out hundreds of these emails and they're not getting any response, it's not that hard to kind of get to the point where you just say, well, maybe this just is not a great idea. Yeah, I think it I think it varies a lot on the product as well. Like if you're a product that's actually like something that's like brand new, no one's ever thought about doing it this way before, or like no one's ever seen things like this, I think this is a compelling strategy. For us, a lot of our product is around optimization and throughput and educating our users with metrics about like what to expect in the recruiting process. And I think that's a much more nuanced type of thing to try to sell. 
and that people are going to talk about it and trust each other and trust their friend about this. And they're going to be like, Oh, I got some like email telling me that they're like, my recruiting pipeline is messed up. and I need help because everyone thinks that they're doing it the right way. And that's kind of a contrarian thing to post out there. So I don't think that that's, it's just something that I think is likely to resonate with a lot of users. And that's why basically why we pull, we just like stopped doing it pretty early on in our life. We ran the experiment and just like got bad results from it. Like, Hey, let's try the next thing. Yeah. And, and I think it's cold email is especially challenging if you're, you're targeting people who already get a lot of cold emails and almost have kind of you oh, know, yeah. numbed out to them. Most definitely. I'd say of our user base, like, I'd say there's probably like of the hundred different companies we're working with today, probably 80 of them are between like 30 people and like 80 person companies that we work with. And those folks, like like we work with the founders who work with the head of, you know, pick a team, sales, engineering, customer success, whatever. Like these people are just inundated with, with this sort of stuff. Like they're not going to like be like, Oh yeah. Hey, George reached out to me, you know, cold. And yeah, that sounds like a great product. They're going to be like, I don't care. There's like 17 people picking me every day about random products. So I think it's a very hard group to chase after like our user base. So I know before we started recording, you mentioned that just sort of pre-COVID ballpark, you were probably, you'd got to about a million in ARR. Yep. But how did you fill that gap between the, the, the friends and friends, friends, customers and getting to that number? Where did the other customers come from if it wasn't outbound? There probably mostly was friends and friends of friends at that point still. And like some like early referral stuff that like someone had a good experience with Dover and they, you know, told their friend about it. And that's how we got to that first, you know, that first 25 customers or whatever that number was. I think it was all basically driven off of that. Our content stuff didn't really work. And our <laughs> stuff didn't really work. Those are just like feeble things. And that was kind of like pre-COVID basically. I think it's kind of, kind of where we ended up. So there's no, you know, we were talking about this earlier as well, that there's no pricing page on your website can you tell, tell me a little bit about like how are you pricing the product and also why why you chose not to put a pricing page up yeah it's it's a great question so i think it's basically like our understandings of the world is like if you have a product that's more than call it you know probably 250 bucks a month like a pricing page may not be the right solution because it's it's pretty rare that someone's gonna like just whip out their credit card and pay for your product without having to talk to somebody and like kind of building some trust essentially and like learning more about the product because it's a higher price point. So that's why we've always opted away from doing a pricing page. Our pricing is also as we've gotten better at delivering our product, we've been able to do it for cheaper. Like we're heavily like when we started, we were pure services, right? As we were describing, it was like Max on Vision, just running around with like chickens with their heads cut off, like trying to make it work for our users. And as we've gotten better and better and better, we've basically been able to do a ton more work for or, you know, work um, or our Dover can do a lot more that run their processes for them in an automated way. We'd be able to give them a lot, lot more. And I think that's ultimately like our vision for Dover is to be like, just have like the like most awesome user experience. Like it's exceptionally easy to use product and gets you exactly what you want. And it's also like really, really inexpensive. Like my hope is that like, yeah, when I think of like really great products, they like they kind of nail both of those things. And you know, if you whenever you're talking about a great product and your friend isn't using it, you say, like, "Why aren't you using this thing? This is like obviously the best choice. Like, doesn't cost anything, and it's like going to deliver you a ton of value." So that's where we want to push over is in that direction. Again, and I just want to kind of get this clear that we sort of talked about sort of the initial customers. You got to about a million ARR pre-COVID. And I know there was also a time that you sort of mentioned to me before that there were about like, you, you got to about 20 companies and then sort of just was stuck there for 
a while. Yeah. Uh, is that when you were trying all of this outbound and, and content marketing? Yeah, that was, so that was very early 2020 call, like January, let's say for sake of argument. So we probably were at 20 there and we're like, okay, so we tried these two experiments and then COVID hits in March, right? And at that point, we're like, oh man, okay, this is like, you know, probably, I don't know, 20, 25% of our customers are like, oh, we don't know if we're hiring anymore. The world might be ending. Like the economy might totally collapse. Stock market's down 40%. No one knows what's going on. Um, there's like a ton of layoffs and stuff. So we had a conversation around like, well, where do we want to spend our energy at? Like, we're fortunate. We're like a six person company. We're going to be here for a while. We don't have to like, you know, we're not going to like burn ourselves to death. Like we're not going to run out of money anytime soon. So we're in a fine place. And basically our thought was, well, let's just double down on building our product. Like if people aren't hiring, we can't sell it and that's fine. So let's just acknowledge that's what the world looks like. And let's just like really focus on trying to build a better experience and like make our algorithm better and like build more integrations for other, other tools and all that sort of stuff. So that's really what we focused on. And so circa maybe like, maybe it was like July or August, we really started to have an uptick in business and it wasn't from a concerted sales effort or anything. I think it's we actually just got our product market fit stronger and people started talking about us. And like also coincidentally, like people then also acknowledge that the world wasn't going to end um, because of COVID. And that's kind of when we basically like had this big tail of growth. So when, when sort of you, you sort of felt the COVID hit, did you lose any of your existing customers? So yeah, great question. So what we did with them is we basically said, Hey, we know it's uncertain times. It's totally fine. We'll just pause your use of the product and we'll just delay it for a couple of months. So basically we didn't charge them. We just let it sit. I think we pushed out to like May or June. I can't remember the exact date, but basically we put all of our users said, here's, here's an option. If you guys want to like freeze and like not pay for because you're not sure what your hiring plan is totally fine. So we just kind of delayed it for, for all those folks. Basically we tried to keep the relationship um, and try to do the right thing for them. And and one of the reasons you were able to do that is because you, you'd raised about $3 million, right? From Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we were in a fortunate position that, you know, it's a six person company. So we're spending very little money. We have like reasonable revenue coming in and we're like, okay, well we can just like, and we, we, our bank account was pretty full. So like, let's just sit here and do nothing. We're not going to like do a bunch of hiring in our team because that seems like we're running into a brick wall. So let's just focus on our product and like really double down on that. So it's kind of a nice pure state. And I feel very fortunate this happened to us during this time. Like, I almost wonder, like, if I were to build a company again, would I actually just say, let's get the first 20, 30, I don't know, whatever magic number of users and actually just pause for six months and like try to build like the craziest cool experience for those folks and then start trying to work on the sales motion and the marketing motion and like, like basically getting new customers again after that. How, how did you figure out what, what, um, to improve in the product? Like, was this based on talking to customers or did you just guys have your own kind of list of crazy ideas that you wanted to kind of go and implement? Like what was the process you went through to decide where you were going to invest your time? A, a bit of both, to be frank. We talk to our customers every other week. We do like a check and call with them and learn about their recruiting pipelines and if they want to adjust their search and figure that out for them so we can change the algorithm on our end. Um, just We try to be their thought partner. And we also, this is the time we also coach them with data about what the market is saying about their position and how they have it posted. And so we got a ton of, ton of user like basically like feedback during this time. So we're getting it out all the time anyways, but we were really able to focus on it then, which was cool. And then the other thing is like, yeah, like our product was so early stages that there was, you know, so much to build. It, we, we also had like a lot of like first principled things that we knew we had to build to make it better for our users as well. So g give me some examples of, there was obviously work that you did on the product during that time 
that helped you to get to yeah. a, a place where the product is things just started to click. So can you give me an example, one or two examples of what kind of improvements you made to the product that you, you believe helped? Yeah, great, great question. So we observed that a lot of our, so our users, as I mentioned, they're founders, they're hiring managers, they're heads of various groups. These are the main folks that we work with and they're always strapped for time. And what we noticed was that when people get candidates further down their funnel, so let's say you got an offer out the door or you got a couple people on the onsite stage, you'll actually like stop interviewing newer people because you don't want to waste your time on it because you think you have a hire. And statistically, when you make an offer, only it's you have a 50% hit rate on it. So, and we know that, but a lot of users think like, oh no, my company's in a great place. It's totally fine. Like we get that one offer out. Don't worry about it, George, we'll close them. I'm like, oh, okay. I know you got a 50-50 shot, but you think it's like a hundred percent. So one thing we noticed through this was, okay, cool. Like how can we make it for our users that they don't kill their pipeline? They don't stop interviewing new people. Cause then they're going to be really upset if they don't hire that person that they think they're going to hire. Like make sure there's a good backlog of folks for them to go through. So what we built during the time is that's when like our Dover interviewer product came out. So we said, okay, what if basically instead of the hiring manager doing those calls because they're too busy and they already think they got it closed, what if they just kick it to Dover and we do the first round phone screen for them? And that way that they have a good backlog of candidates always. So that so that product like came out during that time. And that was kind of a thing like we observed, not that a customer asked for directly, but their actions showed that they weren't going to do it. And we were just kind of reading in between the lines to figure out what was the right thing for them. Love it. How long did this go on like this focus on saying, I mean, basically during this time you were like, okay, we're not going to do any sales. We're just going to focus on the product. Mm-hmm. We're not even going to charge our customers for a while. How long did that go on until you got to a point where uh, you started to see new customers coming in? Yeah. So I think we, so I think we did like, it was like a two or three month freeze on our users and said, Hey, yeah, it's like, we'll just turn the product off for them is basically what we did and just kind of delayed it. And then we picked back things up when they were ready. I think it was, you know, COVID hits in March. So it was probably like, I think it was like July or August is when we started to turn things back on really and say, okay, cool. There's, we're getting like a lot of referral people in, like, let's start like doing, like doing sales again. So Max was, you know, out there like talking to folks and getting them in basically. So that was kind of the, kind of the turning point for us. And these new customers were coming from word of mouth. Yeah, primarily. Exactly. So it was folks who were talking, I think it's just because they saw the product improve a lot during those, during those months. And they were, you know, as a user, like, oh, cool. I can kind of like see the direction they're taking this business in. This is a better user experience. They're happier with it. And yeah, it's basically just word of mouth, word of mouth driven. So were you doing anything within the product or your marketing to try and drive those referrals? Was this some kind of you know, virality built into the product? Were you sending emails to customers asking for referrals or did this just happen organically? Primarily organically, but you mentioned a really interesting thing there around asking customers for referrals. So we started doing that around this time as well. I think that's yielded, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15% of our user growth has been from actually just asking folks like, hey, you guys just made a hire, congrats. Do you know of anyone else who would be helpful? And Max actually wrote a pretty interesting blog around this, around how to help. Like what we do is we'd send them a list of like three or four of their founders they know or hiring managers that they know and say, hey, would any of these people be, be, be worthwhile introductions? And that's yielded quite a bit for us. What was the blog post that, that Max wrote? 
I don't remember what it's called. It's on our website um, under our blogs thing, but basically it is like, you can go to their, like you can go to their LinkedIn account and like filter on their second degree connections and you can see who they know that, you know, has the title you want. So for us, our title we were targeting is like, you know, VP sales founder or like, you know, VP engineering or something like that. And we could just like generate a list of a couple people that they know that would be reasonable. So after a user like had a lot of success with us, we would then go say, Hey, here's four friends that you know, that we don't know, would these people be useful for us to connect with? And normally people are pretty receptive to that, um, our users, and they send us one or two. And then uh, you, you saw a huge growth in the last, what, six, seven months? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've 5X'd in the last like seven, eight months, something like that. So where's your MRR right now? Yeah, we just crossed 5 million annual uh, a couple of weeks ago. Wow. So it's been quite a busy year. And, and the team's grown quite a bit since the six people that you had working on it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's I think it's commensurate. I think the team's out five exercises as well. We're around thirty people today, so we've kind of been staying in line. You know what I really love about kind of what you guys have done is, I mean, obviously there was some benefits from, you know, the COVID bump or whatever we like to say, but the I don't think it's just about that. I think there's this clearly something that you started to do around the product that has kind of helped to get happier customers and those customers seem to be more willing to tell other people about the product. So that on its own, I think is a big part of the sort of the engine that you've built here. I think that's exactly right. I, I always call these like shower thoughts, <laughs> but you know, when you're in the shower and your mind is wandering, what are you thinking about? And there's, I think, a lot of purity to having the whole team thinking about one thing rather than like having Max really focused on sales and maybe me focused on marketing as our shower thoughts and on Visha's thinking about product stuff. But if we're all thinking about like, how do we make this a better user experience? Like, how do we make this product better? And we basically just kind of, you know, maybe we were forced into it, but also just kind of leaned into that state for a handful of months. And we really, really focused on that. And I think that's what helped us build the right things and, you know, build, build great empathy with our users and understand their problem deeper and try to come up with better solutions I and mean, just be more creative. And I think that that like, like kind of committing to a problem in the most pure state of that, instead of like trying to juggle 17 different things at the same time is really, really helpful to, to building cool stuff. Yeah. I also really like how, I mean, obviously the three of you have, have done this before. This is not your first rodeo and the way that you have sort of approached this where I think many, many founders sort of almost create unnecessary hurdles for themselves. I can't go and talk to customers until I have some kind of prototype to show them. I can't do this until I have this. You know, I've got to figure out my pricing and get it perfect before I can start selling my product. And you guys have obviously taken a very different approach and everything from selling it as a service before you had a product um, and, you know, not having the pricing page and, and kind of giving you some flexibility in terms of how you test and, and, and optimize there. But there are other things as well. Like, you know, we, we, we often think like, well, I've got to build this great website, which has kind of got to do, you know, all of these pieces. And, and you know, the Dover website looks great. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not taking anything away from that. But it's like, you know, when I clicked on like get started, I'm expecting a sign up form and I get like a embedded type form on the page, right? And it's still like still really scrappy, and I and you know you guys, yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, we definitely describe us as. Um, I think this is 
Max is really incredible at this. This is really like his his strongest trait is he's amazing at duct taping stuff together and like guilt building flows from essentially nothing very, very quickly and testing things very, very quickly. And I think that that's very much part of our DNA, which is try it out, see if it works. If it doesn't work, just move on quickly onto the next thing. And it's more of that kind of game. And I think that, you know, I've laughed because the type form is hundred percent a max thing and it's exactly right. Cause it does what it needs to do. Everyone knows what it is. Hopefully it doesn't turn too many people off, but it's something we could have spent a bunch of time building into our app, but was there really going to be much gain from it? Probably not. Yeah, it was, it was it was like the right ROI kind of kind of calculation, I think, on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I I know my friends at Typeform would love to hear this, but yeah, I mean, just the fact that hey, you know, like you can you can build a seven figure SaaS business and you can do it with a Typeform, or at least you know, in terms of you know building the 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 sort of the top of the funnel and 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 you know acquiring customers you don't have to kind of over engineer a solution here yeah i love that yeah i think that's exactly right and maybe our problem lends itself more to this than other people's you know business problems are taking on or businesses are trying to build but like our first i don't know it might have been we were using Airtable as our primary database for an embarrassing long amount of time <laughs> wow that was like our primary database like we were, we were using API and reading and writing out of it and stuff. But we didn't even have like a Postgres instance or anything stood up for like a very long time. So like that's the sort of thing where we were very heavily tilted on. We don't know exactly what we're building yet, so let's not overly commit to the perfect solution because we're not sure what it what it is yet. Um, so we try to keep like really wide, like wide open eyes on that. And I think it was probably until probably twenty five customers is when we started to really, you know, until we kind of hit that lull that I was mentioning that we really started to like really become more opinionated as a product. And when I look back, I think we actually probably were late doing these sorts of things. We might've been a little bit too far in the extreme of like non-committing in some ways to various things. Oh, but that's, that's a great point because I think a lot of, you know, that a lot of no code type tools these days are really attractive to non-technical people who can see a path to building something without being dependent on a developer, but yep. you guys, you've got, you know, Max and Visha, you've got engineers on the team, and you're still using these no-code tools to build this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's that's great because it's it's again, it's like, do you want to build a great product and show people that you wrote all the code, or do you just want to get something good enough out there? So you can basically figure out whether you're going down the right direction or not. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's I think that goes back to kind of just like that trying to I think it's such an art. I think it's so hard. I I call it the lost phase of like when you don't really know what you're working on yet. And that's probably up through like the first 10 customers. You're not even really sure what it is that you're building or the exact direction you're headed. And I think that the technical problems in some ways are actually easier because they're more dead on and you can spend a lot of time building them. But in the really early days, the a lot of the value creation is in those in the experimentation and talking to a lot of people and trying different things out and just see if you can create some value for them. Yeah, yeah. I just noticed the site still even has the made in Webflow badge at the bottom. Oh, we should get that off. That's bad. That's embarrassing. <laughs> oh no, this is beautiful. I love this. This is the reality, right? It's just like, you know, it's easy to show somebody like you know some some hugely polished thing and and you know but it's great to get the insight into really what's going on here and uh i think it tells me and hopefully you know people listening to this a lot about the way you guys it's not about the badge it's not about type form it's about the mentality that you have to 
building this business. All right. So, I mean, things have gone like pretty well over the last six, seven months. Business, you know, is is kind of growing and and you're at over what, like a hundred customers now? Yes. And again, it's like they've they just like what 80%, I think you said, like we're coming through like word of mouth. Yep. That's awesome. And so what what else are you doing now beyond just relying on that? Like how else are you trying to, or what, what channels are you testing or, or trying, having some success with other than word of mouth? Yeah, so now that we've gotten a little bit larger and there's more people on the team who are thoughtful and understand the problem deeply, we've, we've gone back to content marketing, which has been probably where the other 20% comes from. Um, of our user base. So, and our content marketing is still fairly simple in lots of ways. It's like try to write something in th- like, like insightful and thoughtful and like try to educate somebody on something. So we've been doing a decent amount of that. And the other thing that we've done that's been very uh, fascinating and, and I would have never bet would have worked was like whenever we bring someone onto the team, we celebrate it because we're all really excited that someone else is joining us to work on this. But we, 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 we shared on social media and it's, Amazing how many people will be like, oh yeah, I saw so-and-so join your team. So yeah, we have this hiring problem and they just start talking to us. And it drives a lot of leads for us, just talking about other people joining the business. So how does the onboarding work today? So I'm just looking at one of the blog posts. There's no obvious place to sort of sign up for an account. And even when I get to the bottom of the page, there's a there's a little form where I can type in an email address and and get updated and like, you know, get added to a newsletter. So how is this leading people to that type form? Maybe people are just, I guess, drawn from the post and then wandering around the site. Maybe it's just as obvious as that. But once they've complete filled out the type form, what happens next? Is it is it still manual? Like you're still having one-on-one conversations with customers and what's going on behind the scenes there? Yeah, it's yeah. So we basically at that point, once you kind of enter yourself, not into the you're you're exactly right, Omer. When you go through the, like read a blog or something, enter yourself in, you're just going to get the monthly content update, probably referencing about their blogs that are hopefully helpful to folks. That's kind of all that flow is around, which is kind of more the marketing flow. The If you sign up for the product and go through that type form, then you're going to end up in sales land with us. We still don't have any salespeople though. Our chief of staff's kind of been our hero. She spends about half of her time <laughs> doing our sales work and having first calls with people. So she's been absolutely amazing. They... Yeah, basically you'll chat with her and she just kind of like shares about the product and wants to hear the problem and see if we're at all reasonable uh, solution for folks and kind of help them think through it. And a lot of times, you know, people are looking for something that we're not the right solution for. And we try to be the first people to say, hey, here's the other folks that are the right solution for you, given the lay of the land. So um, you enter that. And then if people want to move forward at that point, that's when we send you the onboarding the onboarding process, like the application around like, hey, here's your job. And we ask, you know, the app goes through and does calibration with you and all that sort of stuff around what you're actually looking for um, in your hiring. And then how do you, how do you get paid? Do you send them a, just a standard boilerplate sort of contract or just an invoice? Yep. Yeah, it's very basic. Yep. Just send them a, give them a sign a contract and send them an invoice. It's very standard, like SaaS, like, you know, model there. Yeah. Again, it's like, you know, a, a lot of people would be like, well, I can't do that because I haven't, I haven't integrated with Stripe on my website yet. So um, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> no, we're, we're very basic. It's a hello sign goes out and, you know, if you like it, you sign it. If you don't like it, then you let us know and that's fine. 
or you know, we talk to you about it. And then at that point, yeah, we just move you into the flow and try to onboard you as quickly as possible to get your job kicked off for you. I love it. There's, there's so much good stuff here. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I think you guys have a great story. I think you have um, really made some 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 awesome progress in, in, in the last couple of years. Uh, but I think there's just, I just love the, the approach that you've taken from day one to, to build this business out. Maybe at some point we should get you and Max back and we should just dig into all the other stuff that he's been doing behind the scenes. Yeah, no, Max is, Max is very fun on these sorts of things for sure. That's awesome. All right. Uh, we should wrap up here. So, um, we're going to go into the lightning round. I've got seven quick fire questions for you. Sounds Just great. answer them as quickly as you can. All right. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Probably from YC, just focus on product market fit. It's all that matters. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? The Goal. It's an operations like excellence book, essentially. It's about throughput on machines. It's, it's very boring sounding, but it's an incredible read. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Move quickly, admit you're wrong very easily, and move on. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? It's probably more of a habit for me. I When I create a document, I always put the date first, like date format everything, um, so I can find stuff easily. What, in the file name or, or just at the top of the document? Yeah, file, yeah, yeah, the file okay, name cool. starts with the date cool. every time. Uh, what's yeah. a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Oh, this is what I'm really excited about. So I've been talking with, someone should do this. I really think someone should create a sandwich shop or like a burger place that really specializes in buns and breads. And like the meat's kind of like whatever, but like they just like nail it on the carb. <laughs> Love it. I'd go there. Yeah, I, that, that's I want a burger with a great bun. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? I had a couple pygmy groats when I was growing up. Wow. And finally, what's one of your most uh, important passions outside of your work? Work is nearly all consuming, but I really enjoy cars. Um, I like to try to work on them. I'm terrible at it. Um, so I'm mostly <laughs> driving. But yeah. <laughs> Love it. So, uh, George, thank you so much for joining me. Um, as I said, it's, it's, it's been a fun conversation and uh, it's, it's uh, congratulations on, on uh, the success you guys have had to date. And uh, thank you for uh, giving us... Uh, a peek into, you know, how you guys are building out the business and, and, you know, uh, trying stuff out and, and kind of the lessons you've learned along the way. Uh, if people want to check out Dover, you can go to dover.com. And if, uh, folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, just shoot me an email. I'm, I'm George at Dover and that'll, I'll get you there. Awesome. Thanks, man. Wish you all the best of success and, uh, say hi to Max for me. Will do. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Cheers.